Welcome to Unlocking the Truth, a podcast where we discover God's truth for ourselves. Do you want to know how to better study God's Word? Then participate in one of our free online workshops or join one of our online Bible studies. There are tons of times and options to choose from. Head to our website to register now at www.preceptministries.ca. On our website, you can also get connected to our social media pages and join our email list to stay updated on the many things God is doing through Preset Ministries. We want to hear from you. If you have been impacted by these podcasts or another area of Preset Ministries Canada, then we want to know. Email us your testimonies to info at preceptministries.ca. We can't wait to hear about how God is working in your life. Now, stay tuned for Unlocking the Truth, a study on the book of Colossians. Hello, everyone. It's Mark Sheldrake here in another episode of Unlocking the Truth podcast. We're working our way through the book of Colossians today, episode 9, our final episode in the book of Colossians. It has been a wonderful time to walk through these scriptures. I'm sad to see the book of Colossians coming to an end. There's been so much powerful stuff in these verses, but now we're going to be making our way over the next nine weeks, starting after Canada Day, so there'll be a couple weeks off where there'll be no podcast, where we'll be going into 1 Thessalonians. Cannot wait to dig into that book as well and just see how the Lord will use the truths of those verses and those chapters to really challenge us to live more and more like Jesus Christ. Great episode for you today as we look at a couple of topics and let's just commit our time to the Lord and then we will dig right in. Father, we do thank you. Thank you for the opportunity we have today to be able to Uh, not only record this podcast, but also to present it through the internet and our website and iTunes and different areas that people can listen to it. Thank you for those who have committed their time to participate in study of Colossians, but also by listening to the podcast and going back to the scriptures and looking through. Father, we pray that you would challenge us in your word again today, that today would be an opportunity for us to see some great truths that we can apply to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So last uh, week, episode 8, we walked through the relationships that come from the text and how we're to live out the doctrine that has been um, given to us throughout Colossians and now live it out. Live it out in your marriage, live it out in your family, live it out uh, when you are... Um, dealing with your uh, workers, co-workers, or employers. And so this week, we are now coming into the final parts of this letter where there's going to be a couple of uh, things that we really want to look at, really want to be challenged with, and then really think about how we accomplish uh, these things within our own lives. So we ended off... Uh, episode 8, looking at chapter 4, verse 1. Now, in chapter 4, verse 2, he starts with the following. Devote 
yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Uh, then praying at the same time for us as well that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we, we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been in prison, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. So the first thing that we want to see here, okay, so Paul is going to focus on the whole uh, principle of prayer. And so prayer, a vital part of the Christian life. So just keep in mind that the whole uh, idea of this book is to make every man complete in Christ. Uh, he's taught us that Christ is sufficient, he is supreme, and he's all we need. And now we're getting into those practicals of how to live it out. And then Paul, he says, devote yourselves to prayer. Uh, the, the idea of this word devotion is to be courageously persistent. So to continue to pray uh, no matter uh, what is going on. So now the challenge is about prayer in our own prayer lives. What does it look like in our own lives uh, with our understanding of prayer? So in just my own personal life, just to pause and give you a moment to think through um, prayer life and how it's uh, kind of changed. For me, since March, I will tell you that my prayer life has drastically changed. I believe that prior to March, there I, I prayed to the Lord and I spoke to him and I, I begged him to do things for our country and for our ministry and for my own, my own family and household that God would, would do great things. But my prayer life has really geared in and really focused on um, a couple of things. One, if you've been listening to this podcast for a long time, you'll know that around mid-March, my dad went in to uh, have an open-heart surgery and things did not go well. Uh, we were called to the hospital to uh, really be told, hey, you can do one thing to uh, see if his life can be saved, or the second thing is to say goodbye. So we chose to see whether this one thing, this one treatment, would be the thing that would really save my, my father's life. Well, it is now uh, the middle of June, and uh, my father is still in the hospital. There are zero signs of him coming home at any time soon. He's still not able to speak properly, still on a feeding tube, and still uh, dealing with a lot of medical issues. However, every day, every single day, I stand before the Lord before I go to bed. And when I wake up in the morning and I just ask the Lord for guidance and direction for the day and for... Uh, healing, whatever that looks like to you, God, for my father, whether that be bringing him home to his earthly address or bringing him home to his kingdom address. And so that has been the focus of God. Would you just be glorified in the midst of what is happening in his life, in this trial that you've put him in, glorify yourself. May the nurses and the doctors see something 
happening within the reactions of our family, within the reactions of my father's body, that would clearly indicate that you are over all of these things. I have prayed that very same consistent prayer in and out each and every single day since the day we went and had to say our goodbyes or choose whether he was going to take this treatment. That's not changed one bit. And I make sure that I do that every single day, that God would be glorified. Not that, you know, oh, please, Lord, just heal his body of the sickness. No, God, be glorified in it. May your testimony of who you are and what you can do as the great physician go forward and impact the people of this um, hospital, especially as everything that's going on with COVID-19 as well. Just that people would see the glory of God in the midst of all of these difficult trials. And so as I have prayed that day in and day out, my wife and I have started to record the, the areas in which we have seen great improvements in the health of my father. We have uh, seen things like came off dialysis, uh, came off ventilators, came off all of these different machines. Uh, I remember the first time that the doctors told us we're just decreasing uh, the medication that's keeping his heart uh, going and he's doing that on his own. We've seen now that he's come to the point where even though he can't fully communicate and speak properly, he's calling my mom every single day, multiple times a day on an iPad. And you step back and you think about what life was like just a few months ago with all these tubes and machines and everything going on, that in this we've been able to stop and praise and worship God because we have seen him glorified in what's happening. We've been able to share testimonies of how God is restoring the body. It's absolutely amazing to see that God's creation has the ability to restore itself and with the help of medical uh, uh, kind of drugs and things to keep him comfortable. But he's healing up. It's absolutely amazing. And Paul, what he's saying here is uh, devote yourself to prayer. Make this a part of your life. Uh, I can't help but think about prayer being very similar to taking that dead phone and plugging into it into the charger. Every time we take time to go to the Lord, we're tapping into the power source that's going to do the work for us. E.M. Bounds wrote this wonderful book on prayer. They, they called E.M. Bounds one of the uh, gurus of prayer. And what he said about prayer was, prayer moves the arm that moves the world. Can you imagine that? That by my prayers, that God hears my prayers, that God will answer my prayers, and God will act. It's absolutely amazing. In the midst of everything that's been going on in the trials within our life, have you paused and stepped back and saw where God's hand was at work, where prayer moved the arm that moved the world? This is absolutely amazing stuff. To think about, this is what we are called to as believers. It's not just walk the aisle, raise the hand, 
and that's it. No, you need to plug into the source on a regular basis, and that is through prayer. Now, look what else he says about the importance of prayer. He says, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. So there's a couple of different ideas about uh, the whole concept of being alert, and there's a number of cross-references that we could look at, and I want to encourage you to go back, and if you have time, to look through some of the different cross-references about being alert. So you could see how in Second uh, Peter there's a call to be alert, a call to be alert in prayer. And so uh, what, do, what do we think that Paul is saying here in these verses? One, I'm going to think that Paul is telling us to keep alert in prayer, and that means, one, to be aware and alert and not asleep to the needs of the people around us that we have to pay attention in our prayer lives, that we should be focusing on the things that are around us and the prayer needs that come up on a regular basis. The second is that we have to keep in our keep alert in our prayer, according to Second Peter, is that we will not be overcome by Satan, the enemy. So we're in prayer and we're constantly bearing in mind the... Uh, needs of others. We're listening to the needs and we're going to the Lord in prayer with those needs. Second, praying for protection that Satan would not overcome us, that we wouldn't fall asleep and not pay attention to the mistruth that is around us. Father, keep us alert in all that you do. So let's look at the first one first, okay? So the idea and the concept of we need to be aware of the needs that are around us. All right, so when we're praying in persistence, okay, so courageously persistent prayer, when we are being alert to what is going on around us, our prayers move from very vague prayers to very detailed prayers of items that we can be praying for. Father, you just think, Father, pray for our country. Our country needs you. No, now we can gear in and pray, start praying for certain things within our country. Well, we have uh, issues of gender, and race is a big um, issue going on in the world as we speak. We have uh, racism, which is on the forefront. We have uh, gender issues. We have uh, marriage issues. Um, struggles in, in what's the definition of marriage. We have battles for truth. We have uh, COVID-19. What do you believe? What don't you believe? All of these different things that we have. Now, how does that direct our prayers? Well, we can pray that people in this world would fully understand that in the eyes of the Lord, in the eyes of believers, we are all God's creation and therefore should be treated equally. Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. So we go back and we start to gear in how we're going to pray for each other within through the scriptures. Secondly, we come with various needs. Think about those who have health issues. We then have the idea that we can go forward and ask for prayer on specific things that we need to pray, pray about. Now, uh, the second is praying for protection. It's praying to be alert and awake. If you want, you can go back to the Gospels and you can see that Jesus 
told the disciples to be alert as he went and prayed, and yet they fell asleep. They were to keep watch and keep alert for the things that are going around them, the same way that we should be praying and keeping alert for what's happening in and around us right now within our own culture. Be aware that we're in a battle for truth, that you don't know what to believe within the media. And so because you don't know what to believe in the media, Father, keep me alert to the things that are of your word. The things that, of your, that are of your word that are coming at me, may they be darts that bounce off my shield and don't stick to me. Because, Lord, I just want to live in the truth of your scriptures. So gearing in and understanding that we can go to the Lord with specific things is a vital part of continuous and persistent prayer. Now, Paul, he's going to tell us that there is a specific thing that he wants them, this church, to pray for for him. And he says that uh, you would pray for us, that God will open to us a door for the word, so that we, we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I've been in prison, that when I speak the word of Christ, that it would be clear and fully understandable. So now we have a specific prayer request for the church from Paul, and that is that they would pray for open doors for him to take the gospel. The second is that when he presents the gospel, that it would come with much clarity. Do you see how that changes the way you focus and devote yourself to prayer? Uh, have you heard that before? You've maybe in your churches, oh, Father, we just need to pray for open doors. You know, the, it's the Christianese uh, comments of how we're going to share the gospel. Uh, Christianese is our own little language of which we understand. Father, give us open doors to take the gospel. Father, open doors for us, uh, opportunities for us to go here. Uh, I remember when I first came to Precept, uh, Tom and Jane Hart were praying for open doors to take Bible study training to Yellowknife Northwest Territories. And then eight, nine years later, we are in Yellowknife with an open door to do training. Uh, Tom and Jane also prayed open doors for ministry in Quebec. We now have Marcus and Esther Hauser who are walking through a ton of open doors and engaging the French-speaking people of uh, Quebec and other parts of the world uh, through training workshops and Bible studies. So Paul wants us, the church, to be alert in prayer and praying for open doors, opportunities to share the gospel. This is an easy application for you and I. This is a simple truth that we too need to be praying for opportunities for us to be able to share the truth of God's word. So uh, think about it this way. Uh, there's nothing worse than praying for open doors and not being alert to that open door. Father, give me an opportunity to share the gospel. And then you're in the grocery store line and you have somebody talking with you and you've missed that opportunity. So it's important to be alert, be aware of what's happening around you and be ready. I remember Kay Arthur telling us one time that you should be ready 
to be able to share your testimony in an elevator. That means that you could share the truth of the gospel from one floor to the next, but also always be ready. And so be alert, be ready, and make my words, as Paul says, understandable for the people. This brings me to a wonderful resource that I wanted to share with you. It's not a precept resource, but that's okay. We're all about partnering with other organizations and sharing the truth. But I've read a book, and it's called The Gospel Reset, which is, uh, the subtitle is Salvation Made Relevant. And this is written by the founder of um, Creation Ministries, Ken Ham. And so when it comes down to what Paul's saying about, you know, we need to um, be able to share the gospel and clear and make it the way to speak, uh, Ken Ham addresses this in a very significant way in this book, and I wanted to share that with you. So if you think about where we are in the world today, where we were compared to where we were in the world just a few uh, years ago. Now, maybe not one or two years ago, but maybe 20 to 25 years ago. So when I was growing up as a student and, uh, and a teenager and a young boy, we went to Sunday school. It was a regular part of our life to go to Sunday school. And through that time, we had a number of people who would come from the community who would go to Sunday school. Their parents would never attend church, but they would drop them off at midweek programs or they would go to um, the Sunday mornings and their parents never attended church. But they felt because of the way that they were raised and when they were children, they went to Sunday school. And therefore, the pattern had to continue. I went to Sunday school, so you go to Sunday school. And then out of Sunday school, some would come to youth group and out of youth group, some would stay within the church. In other cases, some would go to Sunday school until either the church ended their Sunday school program or their Wednesday night program or whatever the case may be. I remember doing funerals for some people in our churches that I was pastoring. And their family members would call our church and say, we haven't gone to church for a long time, but we went to Sunday school at that church. I think back to those days of doing the Sunday school and we had flannel graphs of Jesus that we would put together and we would have these little cutout books and these uh, David C. Cook Christian curriculum materials in which we would go through all of the major stories of the scriptures. We would look at Genesis. We would look at, you know, the Israelites coming out of Egypt. Every little story that we would look at, they'd be huge pertinent stories within the Bible. Gideon, Samson, and then, of course, the gospel. And for a number of years, people would follow this pattern of going to Sunday school. They would be raised in the foundations of the truth. They would be raised with an understanding that God was creator, that God was uh, creating the earth in six days and rested on the seventh that they would be raised with an understanding of sin and that it, it was in Genesis chapter 3 with the fall. And so for a number of years, 
we're raised with these foundations of truth. We know that God is creator. We know that sin came through Adam. We know that Jesus came because we needed a savior. But now, in the this generation that we live in, as Ken Ham says, we're a generation that does not understand sin. We do not understand the consequences of sin. You see, everything is based on moral truth or what I feel to be truth. What's sin to me is not sin to somebody else. And they don't understand the biblical truth about sin. Therefore, Ken says, when you are sharing the gospel and preaching the gospel in this generation, this generation needs to go back to the very beginning. You need to show that God is creator, that he is the one that brought creation into existence. You have to show what happened in the garden when Adam and Eve took of the fruit and they were cast out and they were judged for their sin. You have to show the reason and the need for a savior. When we used to preach the gospel, we had an understanding that people already knew they were sinners and therefore knew what sin was, and we could go right to the story of Jesus. Acts 2 is a phenomenal example of Peter's sermon with people who already had a foundation in the truth. Paul, in his examples in the book of Acts, will show you and point you back to creation because he would preach to a Gentile nation. Peter would preach to a Jewish nation. So it's the same way that we are now. We don't have the foundation to be able to just present the gospel like the Acts 2 church. We have to go back to the very beginning, and so therefore we have to understand creation. So now you can't just present your the gospel just quickly. Jesus died on the cross. He was raised from the dead uh, after being buried for three days, and you need a Savior. You have to show them what sin is. You have to show them that they are sinners, that they are headed for wrath, and they need a Savior. And that God did all that. You've got to do that whole foundational truth. Build the foundation, lay the bricks on top of it, and then give them the gospel. This is what Paul's doing in Colossians. It's the uh, supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus. He goes back to Jesus at creation. And he shows him all the way through. And this is what he's done for you. And that's why you don't need anything else. So what we are doing here when it comes to us sharing the gospel is we need to be clear of who our audience is that we're sharing the gospel with. If we want to be effective gospel sharers and evangelizers, we need to know the whole truth, present the whole truth, and lay it out for the people to go with that information. Now, here's the important thing in all of this, is that none of this is done in our own power. It is all done through the power of the Holy Spirit. Just listen to what the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians when it comes to sharing the gospel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, he says, When I came to you, brethren, I did not come to you with superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. My message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of the power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Now, these statements right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that as we talk about evangelism, I already know, because I've gone through it as well, I know what comes up. When you begin to think about sharing the gospel with other people, the first thing we worry about, will I have the right words to say? How do I know if the door is open? How do I know that my words are going to have any effect on these people? I can't present the gospel like somebody else can. And all of these fears start to build up when it comes to that point and that opportunity. Well, Paul says first in Colossians, pray for open doors. Open doors are opportunities that you are, they are so blatantly clear for you to be able to see that most times people who are willing and ready to hear the gospel have already started asking you questions. They've already started to wonder why your life looks a lot different than somebody else's. I have the wonderful opportunity of running with a bunch of guys on Saturday mornings as we train for marathons. And over the last couple of years, we've had one, one guy in particular has become a really good friend of mine. And he asks me things about the Bible all the time. He wants to know all kinds of things about Genesis and Exodus and the Old Testament especially and about how God can, can act the way that he does in comparison to this gracious and loving Jesus that we see in the New Testament. He asks me one weekend, what's up with the Nephilim in Genesis? And I take every opportunity that when that open door question comes, that I lead him back to the truth of the gospel. Just a couple of weeks ago, he stood on my front porch and he says, you know that inductive study Bible that you're talking about? I need one. Where do I get one? And how do I get it? So taking the opportunities of saying, well, I can tell you where to get the Bible, but I can also tell you how to study that Bible. And so we're in the process of getting that Bible and teaching him how to study the scriptures for himself. The open doors are the opportunities in which the conversation has already started. Now the pressure comes, well, how do I present? Well, look at Paul. He says, I didn't come to you with superiority of speech or of wisdom. This is an amazing comment for the very fact that he was zealous for the things of the Old Testament. He knew much more beyond anyone else when it came to the scriptures. I can only think that if he devoted that much time to study and learning the Old Testament, that he also spent that much time studying and learning as much as he could about his Savior, Jesus Christ. How do I know that Paul spent that much time dedicating himself to the study of Jesus Christ and who he was. Well, in Philippians, if you look at what he knows about Jesus and about his own life, he says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. So he knew all of these truths. It's better for him to be with Jesus than it is to be here. The entire book of Philippians shows us what he really truly knew and understood about 
Jesus. And so all of this stuff that he knew, all this stuff that he lived out, he said, I didn't come to you with superiority of speech and wisdom. I came to you only knowing Jesus and him crucified. Now, what did he know? Look at Colossians. He knew that in him and through him, all things were created. He knew that Jesus was there at creation. He also knew the, tr- knew the truth of the gospel, that Jesus died, buried, and rose again for our sins uh, by grace. Ephesians chapter 2, but God, keep going back to those verses, and this is what he really knew. But he also knew exactly what Christ did for him. This is such a valuable tool, and I want to challenge you to go and study the book of Acts and look at how Paul presented the gospel. He always presented the gospel when Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. What Jesus did in his life to transfer him from darkness into light. This is what he went and he presented He reasoned the scriptures with them. He pointed them to Jesus, and he showed them what Jesus did in his own life. Well, how about you? Do you have the ability to do that? Can you reason the scriptures with people? Can you walk them back to creation? You should be able to now if you've been studying through Colossians. Hey, if you joined us in the Hebrews podcast, you absolutely have that ability to go back. Do you remember the day and the moment that Jesus took you from darkness into light? Well, there's your starting point. There's your opportunity to share what Jesus has done in your own life. So we have the all to do this by the power of the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that works in us. John 6 says, No man comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws him to him. Open door. Spirit is working in the individual's life. Spirit is working in your life. Pay attention to what the Spirit is doing. When you see the open door, walk through it and share the gospel. It's far too often that we are ignoring the open door or don't understand that it's the open door and therefore we don't walk through it. We miss opportunities left and right. But we have to be alert and pay attention to those opportunities. Look what he says in verse 5. He says, Conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how much how you should respond to each person. This is where we're we're pretty much going to wrap up Colossians because I I think that evangelism is a vital part. So first and foremost, you have to pray. You pray and you keep alert. You you pay attention to where God is working. You pay attention to the needs of people. You pray for them. You you be alert and not be uh, dragged down by the enemy. You pray for open doors and opportunities for others to share the gospel like Paul. But you also pray for opportunities for yourself to share the gospel. And then here is how it all lines up. Your words and your actions should match. And this is what he's saying here. 
conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders making the most of opportunity. Now, Paul, what he's addressing here is that you need to um, behave with a life that glorifies and honors God when you're dealing with unbelievers. And so our lives should look very much different than that of the unbeliever. And we should, in our words, in our actions, we should be uh, a seasoning salt to these people. People that speak encouragement to outsiders outside of the church. Not judgmental attitudes and, and high and mighty people, but humble loving servants of Jesus Christ. Uh, John MacArthur said, Christians should be a purifying influence in a decaying society. So as we are out living our lives and bringing glory and honor to Jesus Christ through our actions and our words, more people will come to Jesus. They will see Jesus living in and through us, and therefore see something different. Now, I go back to my running friend. One of the most interesting conversations that I ever had with my running friend, who is not saved. He grew up in the Catholic Church, and he has a lot, a lot of baggage that comes with what he has gone through within the Catholic Church. And one day, I bent over to tie my shoe. And it was just him and I on the road away from the entire group. And the words that came out of his mouth were so encouraging to me because he said, he goes, you and the way you conduct yourself in your life are causing me to want to conduct my life in a different way. I don't swear like I used to. I'm very aware of the things I say and the way I behave when I'm around you. I notice things that are going on in my life that I need to correct when I'm hanging out with you. And I pause and I stop and I think, wow, that is blowing my mind. As I live and do my best, I'm far from perfect. But as I live my life and do the best that I can to glorify God in my actions, I'm starting to rub off on somebody who has yet to profess Jesus as Lord and Savior. That this person wants to live a better life, a more engaged life in being aware of other people and the way that they behave around them when they're with me. Isn't that amazing? We all can have that as we live a life driven by the Holy Spirit. As God speaks to us about the areas in our life that we need to correct, that we need to cut out the garbage that we need to get rid of, the more we cut out, the more sin we cut out, the more that Christ can glow out of us. The more that people can see Jesus in each of us. This is why, and I've already gone to this passage before, but I cannot wait to get to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Because the people that were with Paul, that lived with Paul, that walked with Paul, that learned from the gospel from Paul, 
it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 that this church became imitators of Paul and of the Lord. While Jesus had already been with the Father when 1 Thessalonians was written, how would that church have ever seen Jesus? Well, they saw Jesus in Paul's example. This is why it is so vital that our words, when we share the gospel, then we share our profession of faith, and our actions line up. I will never forget the day that I was sitting in a church. And I remember the pastor at the church, he was preaching through his sermon, and he was preaching his sermon through tears. He was crying. He was so broken. And quite honestly, being a pastor for so many years, my initial thought was, this is the last sermon he's preaching. He is going to resign at the end of this service. But as we came to the end of the service, and he prayed at the closing of his sermon, he paused and he stopped. And the room was filled with people. A couple thousand people were in this room. He paused and he stopped and he said, Friends, one of our brothers has fallen committed adultery. It turned out to be the worship leader of the church. The person that stood up at the front every single week and he led people into some God-glorifying worship each and every week. We loved being a part of the worship. We had this worship leader participating with us in precept studies, in precept uh, conferences as well. But he had fallen and I watched as the eyes of the people around this church and their heads, they sank because this was an individual that they looked up to, that they were excited about the fact that every week he brought them what they believe into the presence of the Lord and he had fallen. His words did not act, his words did not match his speech. And so this is what we see all of the time. Christian leaders who have words, but their actions do not match. And what Paul's telling us here is that we need to conduct ourselves with wisdom. We need to make the most of our opportunities. Be wise, live a life that's glorifying and honor to God, and make most of every single opportunity you have to present the truth of the gospel. Don't miss those opportunities. Quite often when I'm flying around the country, when I get done teaching in all the workshops and if I'm out for a few weeks, I get on the airplane and I want to put my headphones on and I just don't want to talk anymore. I want to go to sleep and, and wake up back at the airport. Once I was traveling and uh, I saw a man get on the plane and I was, I was fairly confident and I thought he must have a Jewish background he, he looked like a rabbi, and uh, he was wearing some uh, very um, religious-type clothing, and he sat down beside me on the window seat on the plane. And I thought to myself, oh, please, please do not say anything. Mark, don't say a word. Just, just put your headphones in and, and keep quiet. Otherwise, you are going to be talking uh, through the entire flight home. And then I looked down and I saw a book at his feet. 
I first saw a Bible, and the second book I saw was The Feasts and the End Times. And so I thought to myself, well, he might be a Christian, and he's reading uh, a book on Revelation. But I said, Mark, just don't say a thing. Just keep your mouth shut and don't talk. Don't talk. And the next thing I know, out of my mouth comes, that's an interesting book you're reading down there. Tell me more about it. And as he began to tell me more about it, I started to hear things in his words and in, in his discussion with me that of Daniel that didn't sound right, didn't sound like it was lining up to the scriptures. He was telling me that he believed that, that uh, the Antichrist was a homosexual. And he was pulling that out of a certain chapter in Daniel. And I thought to myself, you know what? I'm going to take him to this chapter in Daniel, and let's see what we can look at and we can pull out of the scriptures together. And there we sat on the airplane for the rest of the flight. He was marking the scriptures with his pen in his Bible, and I was walking him through the text, and we were doing cross-referencing together. Halfway through, the light bulb went on for him, and he started to really understand that what he had been taught and what he had been shown for a number of years was incorrect. He then said, you know, I'm heading to teach a pretty big event in uh, Pennsylvania, and so can, can I run my Ephesians sermon by you? How are we doing with that? We walked through and we discussed Ephesians. To this day, we still have conversations about the Lord together. It all started with an opportunity and an open door and what ended up happening was God was using that opportunity to correct some doctrine. So be always aware of the opportunities that are before us. Don't miss those opportunities. Don't miss the opportunities with your family, with your friends, to share the truth of the gospel. This is what Paul calls us to do in these verses let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know that uh, you will know how you should respond to each person be gracious towards other people in the way that you act behave and speak the phenomenal thing that ends out the book of colossians it just has a great number of names that i would challenge you to go back and look at all of these people that are involved in this I just wanted to point out to you one thing. I believe that Paul has put all of these names to end out Colossians because all of these people played a vital role in his ministry that he never once did it alone. We know that. We know that he traveled with Silvanus and Timothy and others, but here he highlights the work that these men have done for Paul and for the gospel. It's a phenomenal example of seeing that Paul was well aware that he could not do it alone. We can also see that in the very fact that he knew that by the church's prayers and his prayers, opportunities would open for the gospel. So the encouragement for us this week, as we wrap up Colossians, one, you need to know that Jesus is supreme and he is sufficient he's all you need but the other thing is he's all you should be talking about 
make every opportunity for you to share the truth of Jesus Christ with others. There's a great saying, and the saying goes that our job is to populate heaven and plunder hell. How do we do that? We share the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ with as many people as we possibly can. Folks, don't miss those opportunities. Those opportunities for you to live by example, as well as share the truth of what Jesus has done in your life. I promise you that when you are aware of the opportunities and you walk through those doors, you will see fruit, which is absolutely amazing because if you go back to the prayer that started Colossians with Paul, you see the prayer was, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we've not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and his spiritual understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy and to please uh, the Lord in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work. You see, the prayer that Paul has here is the prayer of when everything is complete in you, that when you have this wisdom, you have this knowledge, you have this understanding, you will walk and you will walk pleasing to him and you will bear fruit. You will share the gospel when you walk through those doors and you'll see fruit from it. You'll see fruit in your own life when you begin to act and behave in a life that glorifies and honors God. When you share the gospel, you'll see the fruit of new believers come. And I promise you, when you see that fruit, it is going to ignite a fire in you that you've never had before to pursue the things of Jesus. Father, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for the truth that's come through Colossians. Father, I pray for boldness. I pray for courage. I pray for opportunity to share the gospel truth with those around us. Father, I can think of family members in my own household that need to desperately hear the truth of your word. Father, help me walk through those open doors. Help the listeners walk through the open doors. Help them to follow and pursue truth. Help them to live out truth so that we can make an impact for you and for your kingdom and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Preset Ministries, head to our website at www.presetministries.ca.